Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is all wrong. You ever look around our world and have that thought? This is all wrong. Shoot, do you ever look at your life and have that thought? Like at this deep elemental level, the sense that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. That, that if you and I, if we were in charge of it, things would be different. This is all wrong. I have that same thought when we hear that story tonight. That famous Christmas story. Now, to be sure, when we hear it, we hear it overlaid with all of the, those layers of lacquer, of, of the heartwarming sentimentality, all of the things, the warm fuzzies that we have wrapped up with it. We hear about the baby and the mother and the stable and the animals. We think, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> but I hear it, and I also think, this, this is all wrong. This is not the way that God should come into our world. If I were in charge of it, I would do it differently. To start with, to start with, Joseph and Mary should not be in a stable with some animals. They should be in a royal palace, right? They ought to have servants waiting on them hand and foot. Mary should have the finest midwife in all of Israel. She should at least have a sleep number bed to lay on, okay? And Joseph... <laughs> Give Joseph some of those fancy drinks, the ones with the umbrellas in them. Take care of these people. And they shouldn't be coming into Bethlehem. Now, we hear Bethlehem, we think, oh, Bethlehem, that's a, that's a big deal. But in that time, Bethlehem was a little blip on the map, a no-stoplight little town. It didn't even have a Dollar General, okay? <laughs> Bethlehem was nothing. It was nothing in that day. No, if you are God and you're coming into the world, you don't go up into some rural backwater. You show up in some bustling cosmopolitan town. You get born in New York or London or Paris. That's how you're going to make an entrance, right? That's how you give notice to the world. And speaking of giving notice, <clears throat> you don't start with shepherds. Again, I know you're thinking shepherds. Oh, that's a good, upright, biblical vocation. But shepherds at that time, this is the lowest rung of society. These are the ragtag riffraffs. If you start hanging out with shepherds, that's where your mom pulls you aside and says, you know, son, you really ought to be hanging out with some better people, okay? You don't go to shepherds. You go to the, the tastemakers. You try to curry some celebrity endorsements. Maybe you go and you, you speak to the leaders, the great people in the world. If you're lucky, maybe we can even get a worldwide, real-time broadcast. If we're real lucky, it might even start trending on social media. Hashtag baby savior. <laughs> and about that, not the hashtag, but this baby savior business. Okay, if God is going to come as a human being, and we ought not take that for granted. See, we're so used to this. We say, well, yeah, of course God is going to come as a human, as a baby. But there's nothing, of course, about it. It's maybe the most far-fetched part of this whole story. But if God has to come as a human being, I think we can all agree that rather than coming as, as some little gurgling, spewing, pants-pooping baby, he ought to come as some studly dude, right? Some kind of guy that you're going to find on the cover of, of Men's Fitness or GQ. Not some critter that you're going to find on the cover of a Gerber jar. But here we are. And this looks all wrong. Why in the world would God arrange and ordain it to be this way? Because he could have done it otherwise. 
And yet he did it just so. Why? I heard a story on the radio recently. And in kind of a, a, a backwards way, it wasn't on a Christian radio station or something like that, but in a backwards way, it answered this question for me. And it helped give me a new perspective on the story. So the, the storyteller was this gal, I think her name was Terry, Dr. Terry. She's a, a doctor now, although when she tells the story, she was a medical resident, which is kind of a euphemism for being an indentured servant at a hospital. Okay. Nowadays, there's uh, regulations and rules. They can only work 80 hours a week. But when she was telling the story, they didn't have those rules. And so she said it was routine for her to be working 120 hours or more a week. And she was worn out and broken and depressed and wondering to herself, why am I going through all of this? She had this deep sense in herself that it was all for naught, that she was like this invisible person. Her personal life was going down the drain, such as there was of it, and everything about life just seemed to be adding up to nothing. You ever feel like that? So she says that she was going through all of this, and in the midst of, of all of those personal trials and tribulations, in the midst of probably another 24-hour shift, this young woman gets brought in. Actually, a young girl, 16 years old. In fact, it was her 16th birthday. Her name was Savannah. And on her 16th birthday, Savannah wanted to go for her first drive by herself and didn't wear a seatbelt. And you can imagine how it turned out. When she gets brought in, she's unconscious. She's got injuries up and down her body, any number of which could have killed her. And immediately, Dr. Terry starts attending to her, taking care of her, doing everything she can just to keep her alive. And miraculously, miraculously, Savannah survives that night. But still, there's this big question mark. How long is she going to survive for? Is she going to come out of this? And if she does, is she going to have sustained permanent brain damage? Is she going to be catatonic? All of these things. Well, Terry continues attending to her, working on her day after day after day. Every day is a battle. Every day is this question, is she going to come out of this? For months, Terry is going to visit her. And each and every day, while Savannah is still comatose, still out of it, Terry would go and she would talk to her. She would encourage her, reassure her. They still had to do procedures along the way. And so she would uh, uh, tell her, hey, you know what, Savannah, we're going to be doing this procedure. It's going to hurt a little bit, but it's okay. This is why we're doing it, and so on. For months, she's doing this. Until finally, one day, Terry realizes she has kind of this moment of clarity. She's like, oh my goodness, here I am. This is the symbolic of all of the futility of my life right now. I'm having a one-sided conversation with a person who can't even hear me. I'm working this job 120 hours a week. Nobody cares. Nobody pays attention. It's all adding up to nothing. I feel like I'm in this invisible nobody person. Why do I even bother? Shortly after that, she gets rotated to another hospital. And she loses track of, of Savannah and any progress that she might be having. But about a year later, she finds herself back at that same hospital, at the ICU. And she's chatting with a nurse there when suddenly this young girl comes running up to her. And she says, Dr. T, it's so good to see you. And, and Terry's like, hello, who are you? She says, I'm Savannah. See, look at my scars. And Terry's just totally blown away by this. She didn't even think that Savannah was going to survive, much less that she would have recovered and be thriving the way that she has. She's just totally floored. But then it occurs to her, she's like, well, wait a second, though. Savannah, how do you, how do you know that it's me? 
I mean, I never even actually met you. You were comatose from the time that I first saw you to the day that I, I left you. How do you know that it's me? And Savannah is like, well, well don't you know? And Terry says, well, don't, don't I know what? And Savannah says, all those times when you were talking to me, I could hear you. And in that moment, Terry realizes she's not a nobody. And it wasn't for nothing. I tell you that to tell you this. The message of this night, the good news of Christmas, is that in the midst of all of our trials and tribulations, while we are wandering and wondering what it's all about, whether our lives matter, whether the things that we do matter, or whether it all adds up to nothing, in the midst of our loneliness and our darkness, God comes down in the form of a human being, and he says to me, I heard you. And he says to you, I see you. You are not nobody. You are not nothing to me. On this night, God comes down and dwells as a baby, wrapped in rags, laid in a manger, so that we would have no mistaking it. He came for the nobodies. He came into a place of obscurity so that he might bring back the obscure to himself. He came in a lonely place to bring back the lonely to himself. Make no mistake on this. That the Lord does this for you and me so that you might know to the deepest part of your being there is no escaping his notice. There is no escaping his fatherly, tender love for you. That's why he went to these absurd, outrageous lengths. So that we might see that in the darkest, cluttered corner of creation, God shines his light. There's nowhere beyond the reach of his love, that there is nobody and no one who is outside the circle of his care. For this Christ came, so that we might be sure that he is ever and always with us, that he is ever and always Emmanuel. Because that's what that means Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is your Emmanuel. When you are weary and heavy laden, he is your Emmanuel. When you are guilt-ridden and ashamed, he is your Emmanuel. When you feel lost and forgotten, he is your Emmanuel. When you are wondering what it's all about and whether your life makes any difference, he is your Emmanuel. When you are looking around at our world and saying, this is all wrong, he is your Emmanuel. When you are feeling broken, burned out, and beaten up, he is your Emmanuel. This is who our Lord is for you and for me. There is no darkness where he does not bring light. There is no dying where he does not bring life. 
He comes in the lowliest and humblest of places so that he might be there for you and for me in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our loneliness. There we have a Savior who meets us in the darkest place, in the valley of the shadow. There he is for you as Emmanuel. You need not fear whether you're toiling in obscurity, whether you're wondering what is it all about? Why am I wasting my life? Still, you have an Emmanuel who is there for you. You are never beyond his love. You are never outside of his care. Can I get an amen? amen. Look, at first glance, this is all wrong. Everything seems wrong about this story. And when you look at your life, sometimes you think this, this is all wrong. But this night, God became man, wrapped in rags and laid in a feeding trough so that you might know he is making all things right. The Lord who dwelled in our midst and showed us his scars has restored you and made you his own. How foolish. How incredible. How wonderful. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.